0: Hello and welcome to 15 Minutes in Hell. It's a 15 minute interview show. Today I'm joined by Rory Kecklin-Jones. He was at the BBC for 40 years covering all sorts of things about tech and he's the author of Ruskin Park, Sylvia Mead and the BBC. Rory, thank you for joining me. Good to be with you, Ed. Lovely. So you left the BBC after your diagnosis with Parkinson's and how, how was that transition? For you how was that transition? because you you've now become like a very prolific journalist actually I'd argue you've 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 written more now
1: yeah i i I should say although I left after the diagnosis, it was not connected with the diagnosis I was, oh okay i was uh uh diagnosed in twenty nineteen and uh carried on and it didn't affect me too badly. The reason I left was they moved my job to Glasgow, which didn't quite fit with oh God. my my lifestyle. But it was actually um, once I got over the shock, I, I was a good age, it, and it's turned out to be brilliant. Um, and uh, I've got a very good relationship with the BBC. I I, I love the BBC as uh, as you would understand. Um, I mean, that's the the basis of of, of my new book. How the BBC has actually been my life is responsible for my existence, but uh, uh, I've moved on and I'm doing all sorts of fun things.
0: So I'm usually not not big on like book interview things, but the premise. Can you run me through the premise of Ruskin Park because it's quite fascinating? When I read about it, you found this box of things from your mother, but I obviously you'll do a better job telling me.
1: So I, 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 uh, my mother was a single mother. Um, and when I cleared out her flat when she died 25 years ago, she, we, the, the flat where I was brought up, a one-bedroom uh, flat in South London, um, she had kept every single letter she'd ever received and many of those she'd written. She was, had all those secretarial skills. She kept carbon copies of everything. And, and at the heart of what she uh, left behind was a box marked for Rory so that he should understand how it really was and that was the story of the love affair with my father uh, who i didn't meet till i was 23 uh, and how how that happened and how it all went wrong and that that's at the heart of this book it's it's a book full of letters telling the story of her life you might think an ordinary woman but actually her life is is fascinating and it sort of reflects the social history of britain uh because when she gave birth to me uh that was something shameful i was born out of wedlock um everybody advised her to get me adopted and she she carried on regardless so she comes out of it as quite a heroic figure when did you fa- how old were you when you found this box oh this is when i when she died so i was in my late 30s uh, and it was oh, 25 God. years ago and by then i had met my father and had a, a, a good relationship with him and i didn't really want to make too much of this and i kind of put the letters away Uh, until after he died really. He died two or three years ago. Uh, And then a journalist who knew a bit about my history called me up about something and ended up writing a piece all about uh, what we find when our uh, parents die, when we we clear out their houses. And and it was all centred around me. And that made me think there's a book in this.
0: So on the subject of the BBC, you covered tech for decades. Has the impartiality of the BBC that remit changed how you covered it over the years?
1: I don't think so. I mean, um, uh, we were very much had it inbred in us that we we don't take a, a line. We are we are impartial, and sometimes that that can be a little difficult if if you are employed to be someone who knows a subject deeply. Then you might have opinions, but it's quite difficult to express them very strongly. Uh, And I think the age of social media has made it even more difficult because the whole point about social media is you kind of let it all all hang out, and uh, you you try not to be bland. And I think one of the challenges, one of the ways you're seeing this challenge at the moment, is in the podcast world. The BBC's got some excellent podcasts, but a whole a whole crew of very senior, well-known BBC people left to start a kind of independent podcast called The News Agents, which has been very successful. And I was scratching my head as to why they were so successful outside the BBC and why the BBC found it difficult to, to, to imitate that. And it's because, frankly, they are a bit biased where they are. In the commercial world, they can be opinionated. They, they make it clear they don't like the government. They make it clear they don't like Trump. Um, and that would just not be possible at the BBC. So that's a challenge.
0: And... How have you seen, you speak of other outlets as well, how have you seen the coverage of the tech industry change since the beginning of your career?
1: Well, I, I, I think it's in some ways got less sophisticated, but in some ways got more balanced. Uh, at the beginning, it was there were, there were a few very specialist people who really know, knew their stuff, but there was a, a distinct feeling of not wanting to rock the boat there was not a lot of kind of pushback about what the big tech companies were doing, um, uh, not a lot of challenge in interviews. And and, and I found, particularly in, in, in America, um, kind of shock when you came along and asked difficult questions. I, I always remember, I did a big piece about cloud computing, which was a fairly uncontroversial piece, trying to explain cloud computing to a mainstream audience in Britain. Um, about what year was this? This was 2008. Uh, oh, wow. So quite early. Yeah. I mean, a, a very good PR man from Microsoft came to me. Uh, and he, he, he always only told me one story a year um, because he understood that most most of his stuff would not be of interest to me. However much his bossy said, oh, get that on the telly. he knew, And he said, it's time you did cloud computing. I mean, it, it was fitted their agenda. Microsoft were just getting into it. And part of it was I interviewed Ray Ozzie. Who was Microsoft's chief software architect after Bill Gates, a kind of legendary figure in the software world? And they were just announcing their cloud product. And I did this interview and I thought it was a completely plain vanilla interview. And afterwards, the, the, the PR guy told me he had nearly been fired. Um, and then a few years later, I met his boss. He's a guy called Frank X. Shaw, who's still at Microsoft, the head of communication.
0: familiar with Frank.
1: Yeah. And Frank told me how he nearly got fired. And that after this interview, which I'd done, Frank had gone to the the gents' room. And Ray Ozzy had pursued him in there, shouting at him and saying, that was a nightmare. I told you it was a nightmare. Jesus Christ. Why did you let me do that? (laughs) I was kind of puzzled. I thought, what was the complaint? And it turned out I'd asked him the obvious question, which is, aren't you a bit late? uh Amazon web services had already you know was out there making a big impression weren't microsoft a bit late is kind of the obvious question but he was not interest- he was not used to being challenged in that way certainly by you know frankly rather bland uh american tv reporters
0: and it's the, looking it up as well it is a relatively simple one but what's interesting is you say that And without getting into my own axe grinding, I too have dealt with Microsoft's PR and had them quite angry at me for opinions I was actually yet to publish. But what's crazy is you're now seeing the tech industry grow this massive animosity towards the press. Mark Andreessen, great example of someone who's constantly angry. And I have to wonder if it's not the move from tech going from an enthusiast press to an in to an actual industry one like you would see in like banking and so on and so forth
1: yeah i mean it is i mean we, we we've got these uh outlandish characters now i mean obviously we all come around to musk um and kind of slightly despair in my case over what he's become and how that's uh uh how 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 there are cliques around these people, and it's it's quite dangerous to to criticise them in any way. I've you know done the odd marble of criticism of Musk, and his legion of supporters descend upon you and uh, tear you limb from limb, as it were. Um, so that the atmosphere has changed. I mean, it it was a very specialist area. Uh, and there were some very good reporters, but it was you know not very challenging. Then it became. You know, obviously, the biggest, most important, and most accessible in, in industry on earth. Everybody had a smartphone, um, and the rules changed, and now it's kind of changing again. And um, there are different camps there, and 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 there is so much more politics in it, um, almost with a capital P, than
0: than there used to be. Right, and how have you? What is your feeling around social media at the moment? What do you, where do you think social media is going to go because Twitter is or X or whatever you call it these days is remarkably unprofitable and it seems Blue Sky is doing all right but again how does that where do you see things going
1: I find this difficult because I I have been a very long-term Twitter user I remember in 2007 um the the whole of the sort of tech uh, writing industry as it were landed on Facebook in about the summer of 2007 when it became widely available. Uh, and then six months later, we all decided actually Twitter was far more suitable to to our, our needs and it was a great little club. Uh, and I have stayed there ever since and built, uh, made a lot of friends, learned a lot and found it an indispensable tool. So I find it difficult to uh, imagine a world without Twitter. Um, and that makes me resent what Musk is doing with it all, all the more. Uh how's it going to change? Well, I mean I mean uh not not for not for the better, in my view. Maybe 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 I've got too old. You know, I I I tried everything. Um uh when Snapchat came along, I found that difficult. When TikTok came along, I can see how brilliant that is in many ways, but it's not for me. Um, I think, you know, I may not be the best placed person to, to, to say how it's going, but uh, I love Twitter, I see the utility of Twitter, and I deeply resent the fact that it is, uh, it's, 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 it's being endangered.
0: So, slightly different turn here. Your, with your Parkinson's, you've written beautifully about it and about the numerous challenges. How has it affected your relationship with tech? It's actually been a, a, a
1: whole new interest, funnily enough. I mean, when I left the BBC, uh, I, des- I decided I still wanted to write. What would I write about? And I started a sub-stack about health and technology. So uh, trying to learn about healthcare, which is something I knew very little about, and how uh, technology could play a role in it, um, and how... Um, smartphones could be used to monitor and so on and and you know the, the manifold possibilities of well, slightly overhyped possibilities of ai i found that hugely stimulating um, so you know I, it's become an important part of my life and i'm involved in this surprisingly successful podcast um about it with with five other people and i'm i'm the kind of techie guy on the team
0: that's great, though. So, really nice kind of final bit, actually. You adopted a dog from Romania, Sophie from Romania. And I tell you, I that dog has better engagement than any post I've ever made. Why do you th- well, tell me about how that happened, but also, why do you think she's such a huge thing? It's extraordinary, isn't it? I was on
1: a, a radio station this, this, this morning doing a long interview about my book, and the presenter, Adrian Charles, mentioned the dog and said she's more famous than Lassie. Um, which is possibly <laughs> true um, yeah we got this dog I, I'd had, we'd had a lovely rescue dog that died and had been a slight character on Twitter and Instagram and so people were interested when we got a new dog uh, and people were very in, quickly captivated by her story which was that she was terrified and that she retreated behind our sofa and basically would hardly come out uh, 23 hours out of 24 Um, and the story seemed to really engage people. I mean, obviously, people like pets on the internet, but there was something about her. She's, she's a rather beautiful dog. Um, and the, 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 the drama of would she ever become a normal pet, uh, and she is getting a bit better right now, uh, seemed to consume people. Every, every morning, I have to post something. My wife says, rather jokingly, have you fed the beast? Uh, have you posted something? And pardon. Me. And um, yeah. And when I do do post something, thousands of people like it.
0: It's remarkable. She's a lovely girl as well. To be
1: clear, yeah, she she is. She's she's right now. She's coming down. She's uh, decompressing. Our cleaner's been here, and she's terrified of our cleaner, and she's hiding in right. the front room, sort of coming down from her a uh, moment of terror when the vacuum cleaner goes on and you know everything is frightening
0: now oh, she's a lovely dog well rory thank you so much for joining me today it's been such a pleasure to have you well thank you and
1: good evening or good morning or good day las vegas i suppose is that what 10
0: 10 49 a.m here in las vegas nevada you've been listening to 15 minutes in hell you can find us at where's your ed dot at slash podcast and join us on the discord at chat dot where's your ed dot at thank you so much for listening